Section 6 of Ben the Luggage Boy, or Among the Wharves, by Horatio Alger, Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tori Falder. Chapter 11. Ben Becomes a Baggage Smasher. The restaurant was a small one and not fashionable in appearance, having a shabby look. The floor was sanded and the tables were covered with soiled cloths. However, Ben had learned already not to be fastidious, and he sat down and gave his order. A plate of roast beef and a cup of coffee were brought, according to his directions. Seated opposite him at the table was a man who had nearly completed his dinner as Ben commenced. He held in his hand a Philadelphia paper, which he left behind when he rose to go. "'You have left your paper,' said Ben. "'I have read it through,' was the reply. "'I don't care to take it.' Ben took it up and found it to be a daily paper, which his father had been accustomed to take for years. It gave him a start as he saw the familiar page, and he felt a qualm of homesickness. The neat house in which he had lived since he was born, his mother's gentle face rose up before him, compared with his present friendless condition, and the tears rose to his eyes. But he was in a public restaurant, and his pride came to the rescue. He pressed back the tears and resumed his knife and fork. When he had finished his dinner, he took up the paper once more, reading here and there. At last, his eye rested on the following advertisement. My son, Benjamin Brandon, having run away from home without any good reason, I hereby caution the public against trusting him on my account, but will pay the sum of one dollar and necessary expenses to any person who will return him to me. He is 10 years old, well-grown for his age, has dark eyes and a dark complexion. He was dressed in a gray mixed suit and had on a blue cap when he left home. James Brandon. Ben's face flushed when he read this advertisement. It was written by his father. He knew well enough, and he judged from the language that it was written in anger. One dollar was offered for his restoration. Ben felt somehow humiliated at the smallness of the sum and at the thought that this advertisement would be read by his friends and school companions. The softer thoughts which but just now came to him were banished and he determined whatever hardships awaited him to remain in New York and support himself as he had begun to do. But embittered as he felt against his father, he felt a pang when he thought of his mother. He knew how anxious she would feel about him, and he wished he might be able to write her privately that he was well and doing well. But he was afraid the letter would get into his father's hands and reveal his whereabouts. Then the police might be set on his track, and he might be forced home to endure the humiliation of a severe punishment and the jeers of his companions, who would never let him hear the last of his abortive attempt. At last, a way occurred to him. He would write a letter and place it in the hands of someone going to Philadelphia to be posted in the latter city. This would give no clue to his present home and would answer the purpose of relieving his mother's anxiety. Late in the afternoon, Ben went into a stationery store on Nassau Street. Will you give me a sheet of paper and an envelope, he asked, depositing two cents on the counter. The articles called for were handed him. Can I write a letter here, inquired Ben. You can go round to that desk, said the clerk. You will find pen and ink there. Ben, with some difficulty, composed and wrote the following letter, for it was the first he had ever had occasion to write. Dear Mother, I hope you will not feel very bad because I have left home. Father punished me for what I did not do, and after that I was not willing to stay, but I wish I could see you. Don't feel anxious about me, for I am getting along very well and earning my own living. I cannot tell you where I am, for Father might find out, and I do not want to come back, especially after that advertisement. I don't think my going will make much difference to Father, as he has only offered one dollar reward for me. You need not show this letter to him. I send you my love, and I also send my love to Mary, though she used to tease me sometimes. And now I must bid you goodbye. From your affectionate son, Ben. 
After completing this letter, Ben put it in the envelope and directed it to Mrs. Ruth Brandon, Cedarville, Pennsylvania. It may be explained that the Mary referred to was an elder sister, ten years older than Ben, against whom he felt somewhat aggrieved on account of his sister's having interfered with him more than he thought she had any right to do. She and Ben were the only children. If I were to express my opinion of this letter of Ben's, I should say that it was wanting in proper feeling for the mother who had always been kind and gentle to him, and whose heart he must have known would be deeply grieved by his running away from home. But Ben's besetting sin was pride, mingled with obstinacy, and pride prevailed over his love for his mother. If he could have known the bitter tears which his mother was even now shedding over her lost boy, I think he would have found it difficult to maintain his resolution. When the letter was written, Ben went across to the post office and bought a three-cent stamp, which he placed on the envelope. Then, learning that there was an evening train for Philadelphia, he went down to the Cortland Street Ferry and watched till he saw a gentleman who had the air of a traveler. Ben stepped up to him and inquired, "'Are you going to Philadelphia, sir?' "'Yes, my lad,' was the answer. "'Are you going there also?' "'No, sir. I thought you might want somebody to take charge of you. Is there anything I can do for you?' "'Yes, sir.' If you would be so kind as to post this letter in Philadelphia, I will do so, but why don't you post it in New York? It will go just as well. The person who wrote it, said Ben, doesn't want to have it known where it came from. Very well, give it to me, and I will see that it is properly mailed. The gentleman took the letter, and Ben felt glad that it was written. He thought it would relieve his mother's anxiety. As he was standing on the pier, a gentleman having a carpet bag in one hand and a bundle of books in the other accosted him. Can you direct me to the Astor House, boy? Yes, sir, said Ben. Then, with a sudden thought, he added, Shall I carry your carpet bag, sir? On the whole, I think you may, said the gentleman, or stay. I think you may take this parcel of books. I can carry both, sir. No matter about that, I will carry the bag, and you shall be my guide. Ben had not yet had time to get very well acquainted with the city, but the Astor House, which is situated nearly opposite the lower end of the City Hall Park, he had passed a dozen times and knew the way to it very well. He was glad that the gentleman wished to go there and not to one of the uptown hotels, of which he knew nothing. He went straight up Cortland Street to Broadway and then turning north soon arrived at the massive structure, which for over 30 years has welcomed travelers from all parts of the world. This is the Astor House, sir, said Ben. I remember it now, said the gentleman, but it is 10 years since I have been in New York and I did not feel quite certain of finding my way. Do you live in New York? Yes, sir. You may give me the package now. How much shall I pay you for your services? Will that answer? And the traveler placed 25 cents in the hands of our young hero. Yes, sir, said Ben in a tone of satisfaction. Thank you. The traveler entered the hotel and Ben remained outside, congratulating himself upon his good luck. That's an easy way to earn 25 cents, he thought. It didn't take me more than 15 minutes to come up from the ferry, and I should have to sell 25 papers to make so much. This sum, added to what he had made during the day by selling papers, and including what he had on hand originally, made $1.30. But out of this, he had spent $0.25 cents for dinner, and for his letter, including postage, $0.05. Cents. Thus, his expenses had been $0.30, cents, which, being deducted, left him just $1. Out of this, however, it would be necessary to buy some supper and pay for his lodging and breakfast at the newsboy's home. Fifteen cents, however, would do for the first, while the regular charge for the second would be but twelve cents. Ben estimated, therefore, that he would have seventy-three cents to start on next day. He felt that this was a satisfactory state of finances, and considered whether he could not afford to spend a little more for supper. However, not feeling very hungry, he concluded not to do so. 
The next morning, he bought papers as usual and sold them, but it seemed considerably harder work for the money than carrying bundles. However, Ben foresaw that in order to become a baggage smasher, for this is the technical term by which the boys and men are known, who wait around the ferries and railway depots for a chance to carry baggage, though I have preferred to use the term luggage boy, it would be necessary to know more about localities in the city than he did at present. Accordingly, he devoted the intervals of time between the selling of papers to seeking out and ascertaining the locality of the principal hotels and streets in the city. In the course of a fortnight, he had obtained a very fair knowledge of the city. He now commenced waiting at the ferries and depots, though he did not immediately give up entirely the newspaper trade. But at length, he gave it up altogether and became a baggage smasher by profession, or, as he is styled in the title of this book, a luggage boy. Thus commences a new page in his history. Chapter 12, Ben's Home in Philadelphia. Though the story of Ben the luggage boy professes to treat of life in the city streets, I must devote a single chapter to a very different place. I must carry the reader to Ben's home in Pennsylvania and show what effect his running away had upon the family circle. There was a neat two-story house standing on the principal street in Cedarville, with a pleasant lawn in front through which from the gate a graveled walk ran to the front door. Mr. Brandon, as I have already said, was a coal dealer and in very comfortable circumstances, so that Ben had never known what it was to want anything which he really needed. He was a man of great firmness and at times severity, and more than once Ben had felt aggrieved by his treatment of him. Mrs. Brandon was quite different from her husband, being gentle and kind, and it was to her that Ben always went for sympathy in any trouble or difficulty, whether at home or at school. Mrs. Brandon was sitting at the window with her work in her hand, but it had fallen listlessly in her lap, and on her face was a look of painful preoccupation. Opposite her sat her daughter Mary, Ben's only sister, already referred to. Don't worry so, mother, said Mary. You will make yourself sick. I cannot help it, Mary, said Mrs. Brandon. I can't help worrying about Ben. He has been gone a week now, and heaven knows what he has suffered. He may be dead. No, mother, said Mary, who had more of her father's strength than her mother's gentleness. He is not dead. You may depend upon that. But he had no money that I know of. How could he live? Ben can take care of himself better than most boys of his age. But think of a boy of ten going out in the world by himself. There are many boys of ten who have to do it, mother. What could the poor boy do? He might suffer a little, but if he does, he will the sooner come home. I wish he might, said Mrs. Brandon with a sigh. I think your father does very wrong not to go after him. He wouldn't know where to go. Besides, he has advertised. I hope Ben will not see the advertisement. Poor boy, he would feel hurt to think that we cared so little for him as to offer only one dollar for his return. He will know you had nothing to do with the advertisement, mother. You may be sure of that. Yes, he knows me too well for that. I would give all I have to have him back. I want him back too, said Mary. He is my only brother, and of course I love him, but I don't think it will do him any harm to suffer a little as a punishment for going away. You were always hard upon the poor boy, Mary, said Mrs. Brandon. No, I am not hard, but I see his faults, and I want him to correct them. It is you who have been too indulgent. If I have been, it is because you and your father have been too much the other way. There was a brief pause, then Mrs. Brandon said, Can you think of any place, Mary, where Ben would be likely to go? Yes, I suppose he went to Philadelphia. When a boy runs away from home, he naturally goes to the nearest city. I have a great mind to go up tomorrow. What good would it do, mother? I might meet him in the street. There is not much chance of that. I shouldn't wonder if by this time he had gone to sea. Gone to sea, repeated Mrs. Brandon, turning pale. What makes you think so? Did he ever speak of such a thing to you? 
Yes, he once threatened to run away to sea when I did something that did not suit him. Oh, I hope not. I have heard that boys are treated very badly on board ship. Besides, he might get drowned. I am not sure whether a good sea voyage might not be the best thing for him, said strong-minded Mary. But suppose he should be ill-treated. It might take the pride out of him and make him a better boy. I never get much satisfaction from you, Mary. I don't see how you can be so harsh. I see we are not likely to agree, mother, but there is a boy coming up the walk with a letter in his hand. It may be from Ben, said his mother, rising hastily and going to the door. The boy was William Gordon, a schoolmate of Ben's, whose disappearance long before this time had been reported throughout the village. I was passing the post office, Mrs. Brandon, he said, when the postmaster called from the window and asked me to bring you this letter. I think it is from Ben. The handwriting looks like his. Oh, thank you, William, said Mrs. Brandon joyfully. Give it to me quick. She tore it open and read the letter, which is given at length in the last chapter. Is it from Ben? asked William. Yes. Is he in Philadelphia? I noticed it was mailed there. Yes. No. He says he cannot tell us where he is. I think he must be in Philadelphia, or the letter would not be mailed there. Come in, William. I must go and tell Mary. No, thank you, Mrs. Brandon. I am on an errand for my mother. I hope Ben is well. Yes, he says so. Mrs. Brandon went in and showed the letter to her daughter. There, I told you, mother, you need not be alarmed. He says he is earning his living. But it seems so hard for a boy of ten to have to work for his living. What can he do? Oh, there are various things he can do. He might sell papers, for instance. I think I shall go to Philadelphia tomorrow, Mary. It won't be of any use. You may depend, mother. He is not in Philadelphia. But this letter is posted there. That is a proof to me that he is not there. He says he don't want to come back. Shortly after, Mr. Brandon entered the house. We have had a letter from Ben, father, said Mary. Show it to me, he said briefly. He read the letter and handed it back without a word. What are you going to do about it, Mr. Brandon, asked his wife. What is there to be done, he asked. I think I had better go up to Philadelphia tomorrow. What for? I might see him. You would be going on a wild goose chase. Then why won't you go? It isn't worthwhile. If the boy doesn't want to come home, he may take care of himself if he likes it so well. I shan't run round after him. He says he did not do what you punished him for, said Mrs. Brandon, rather deprecatingly, for she was somewhat in awe of her husband. Of course he would say that. I have heard that before. But I don't think he really did. I know you have always been foolishly indulgent to him. At any rate, that cannot be said of you, said his wife with some spirit. No, he answered, rather surprised at such an unusual manifestation from his usually acquiescent wife. You are right there, and you might add that I don't mean to be if he should return. I think he would have come home but for that advertisement. You see what he says about it in his letter? If I were to write it again, I should write it in the same manner, though perhaps I might not offer so large a sum. Mrs. Brandon sighed and ceased speaking. She knew her husband well enough to see that there was little chance of changing his determination or softening his anger towards Ben. The next day, when Mr. Brandon returned home to dinner from his coal wharf, he found Mary seated at the head of the table. "'Where's your mother?' he asked. "'She went to Philadelphia by the middle train,' was the answer. "'She has gone on a fool's errand. I advised her not to go, but she thought she might meet Ben, and I could not dissuade her. Well, she will be better satisfied after she has been up and failed to find him.' Do you think he will ever come back, father? Yes, he will turn up again some day like a bad penny. He will find that earning his own living is not quite so agreeable as being taken care of at home. Suppose he shouldn't come back. So much the worse for him, said Mr. Brandon. Mr. Brandon spoke after his way of speaking, for he was not an affectionate man, nor given to the softer emotions. 
He had never given Ben any reason to think he loved him, at least since he was a baby, but appearances are sometimes deceptive, and he thought more of his son's absence than anyone would have supposed. He thought, too, of that sentence in Ben's letter, in which he spoke of being punished for what he did not do, and he admitted to himself, though he would not have done so to his wife, that perhaps he had been unjust to the boy after all. Every day when he turned from his office to go home, it was with the unacknowledged hope that he might find the prodigal returned. But in this hope, they were all doomed to be disappointed. Year after year passed away, and still no tidings from Ben beyond that single letter which we have mentioned. Mrs. Brandon returned from Philadelphia, as might have been anticipated, disappointed and despondent. She was very tired, for she had wandered about the streets looking everywhere during the four or five hours she was in the city. Once or twice her heart beat high as she saw in front of her a boy of Ben's size, and dressed as he had been dressed when he left home. But when, with hurrying steps, she came up with him, she was doomed in every case to disappointment. "'I told you it would be no use, mother,' said Mary." I couldn't stay at home contented if I did nothing to find him, Mary. He'll turn up yet some day, mother. Return in rags, most likely. Come when he may or how he may, Mary, my arms shall be open to receive him. But the years passed, and Ben did not come. End of section six. Recording by Tori Falder.